and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. everyone and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks. I'm so thrilled you can join us here today on the show. We are going to be talking about how to find love and peace right now. And sometimes that can be difficult during a dementia journey. And our guest today, I think you'll find fascinating and, and helpful. So please stay with us. For those of you that are new, we welcome you to the show here at Alzheimer's Speaks. I say we are about sound information, not just sound bites. We like to talk with real people around the world that are in the trenches and and really have a good idea of what works in the day-to-day lives of of each of us. I also want to just uh, remind people to check out alzheimerspeaks.com. We have a ton of free resources there, so please don't pass those up. Um, And then also Dementia Map, which is a global resource directory where you can find not only resources, but events, some wonderful articles and some terms that you might not know of to help you along in your journey as well. And um, And then one last plug I have to give is for our book, Betty the Bald Chicken Lessons in How to Care, which is great for any time anybody, dementia or not, doesn't feel like you fit in. So let's pull in our guest. So Catherine, I'm so excited to have you with us today. You have an amazing history and the things you're doing in the world to help others is is absolutely wonderful. So thanks for taking the time to be with us. If you don't mind just introducing yourself to our audience, I'd appreciate that. Yeah, thank you, Laurie, for having me on this morning. Uh, My background, I am an integrative spiritual consultant I am a board certified chaplain and spiritual director, ordained minister, and just passionate about whole person healing and trained in a range of healing modalities. I worked for many years as a chaplain with our trauma hospital, HCMC, and then as a hospice chaplain. And now I have a private practice called Learning to Live, where I provide emotional and spiritual support to people going through transition, change, wanting to find more meaning and purpose. I also do quite a bit of public speaking on resiliency and self-care and a blog reader and now first-time author. My first book, Everyday Awakening, comes out here. Actually, it's coming out this week and next week, so it's just being launched. Well, exciting. Well, thanks again for for taking the time to be with us. You know, I always ask the first question is the same for every guest uh, that I have, and that is, have you been personally touched in your own family or circle of friends by dementia? Yes, I have a sibling. Uh, One of my brothers has dementia. And so we've been walking this path now for several years and learning a lot, um, walking with my brother, as well as professionally. I've worked with many people with dementia over years being a chaplain. Okay, great. Thank you. It's always nice to have that base. Um, I wanted to talk to you today about your book, Everyday Awakening. Can you explain the title? I always find the titles interesting, how you got there, and then a little bit about the book itself. What led you to to write it? This book, uh, in fact, interestingly, a friend the other day and a couple of people asked me, did someone give you the idea of the book? And I said, no, actually, about 10 years ago, I saw myself writing this book, I saw a vision of the book. And I told my children and my husband that I was going to write a book and they thought, oh, great. (laughs) But it was during the pandemic starting 2020 that I just started to get a sense of the chapters, what it would look like and started putting it together. And really 2021, I dived in full working on it every single day writing and through the weekends and spend a couple years writing this book and and here it is. So the title Everyday Awakening 
the essence of my book is about five practices, five practices, I say, for living fully, feeling deeply and coming into your heart and soul. So it's how to right now today feel vibrantly alive. And I said it every day, every moment, every experience is we can have opportunities to feel vibrantly alive and awakened. And that's where the title comes from. Well, and boy, you know, the timing is so good because people are not feeling that way so much in the world that we live in today. And I I can also relate to visualizing, seeing you writing that book. The same thing happened with me. And, And I really started writing a whole nother book than what I actually launched. But it took me like 10 years too. But I think for me, and I think maybe for you too, the timing is better now because of the way the world is in terms of, of what people want and what they're looking for. And, and I think with your book, you know, they do want that peace. They do, they do want to live fully. And it's hard when so much of the basic knowledge that we were so used to getting that didn't really disrupt our lives is disrupting our lives like the news even. I mean, there's just so much going on. Um, so, you know, thank you for for getting that out there and how exciting that it's, uh, you know, it's coming alive and going to get into the hands of many. That's that's a that's a fun, fun time in in writing this book. I would imagine there was something that kind of triggered why you were going to write this. Was there was there a situation, you know, one or a couple of things that just said, Catherine, you really got to do this. I think a big impetus that was nudging me about writing this book in the last 10 years was what I was experiencing in the world with my clients, with patients, between my private practice and working with patients as a chaplain. I just kept hearing the theme of people wanting more. If it was going through a chronic health condition, a sense of actually awakening. I saw a lot at end of life uh, where people were dazed with and dying and they just, there was all of a sudden everything dropped away and there was a sense of, this is what it means to be alive right now. It was profound. It was such a gift and a privilege to walk with so many people at end of life. And you know, they gave me so much more than I could even barely give them. And just, but to walk with them and see this awakening happening with people at end of life was profound. And then in my private practice, many people I work with to this day, successful people, some of them, you know, doctors, lawyers, um, who have made money, have done well, but they feel a numbness, like there's got to be something more. So all that combined, people wanting more was the impetus of like, what does it really mean to feel alive right now? And we can choose. We're either choosing to feel and open and grow, or we're subconsciously choosing not to. And in my book, by the way, I have 42 exercises. So it's not just theory, like come into the present moment, but like, how do you do it? And this is what I share in my practice. I want to share with tools with people. What does it mean to feel more love in your heart? What does it mean to come into this moment? What does it mean to hold a little more spaciousness? And there's really lovely exercises of how to do it. And that's what I want to share with people to help them empower them. Wow, that's neat. So 42 exercises to to help uh, because, you know, everyone approaches that differently. One of the things um, that I, I thought was interesting when you said people want more, and I think it's a conversation in some ways, it's kind of taboo that people, you know, right now, everyone's trying to keep up with the Joneses on social media, and they're trying to project life is peachy, even when it's not. And there's this, this false self out there. And I think, especially for our younger people, they're, they're getting trapped in that, that sense of this is what I project. And then they shut down and step back and go, that's not my real life. But this is what I want everyone to think it is not knowing how to get how to how to get to that life that they want. And to me, it's and please tell me if you disagree with this, but I think it's how disconnected we've gotten with one another, that there's not that true sense of community and acceptance. And, you know, when you don't feel like you fit in, um, you feel less than and you you don't know what direction to go. 
and to me it's just a it's a sad place so 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 many people are are in right now do you see that that there's a, a disconnect in terms of a sense of community with people even though you know you can you can have like you said the good job and all of those things but there's a deeper level of connection i think that's missing absolutely In May, the Surgeon General declared we're in a loneliness epidemic. One out of two people in the United States are lonely. Interestingly, the largest group of that is young people uh, from ages, what is it, 16 to 29. The second group is 70 plus. And interestingly, the Surgeon General had declared there was loneliness before the pandemic. So this isn't new, but the pandemic really intensified the disconnect, how we were all, you know, schools, businesses, everything shut down. We stopped a lot of socializing. And then I think that coupled with grief, every one of us endured grief through the pandemic. The world grief experts have said every one of us have endured grief. So you think of grief and then being isolated and really has caused this heightened sense of loneliness. And now people are just starting to get back out in the world. And I think the importance is reconnecting, getting back out and being on, for example, for young people, social media, it's not the same. It's not the same as meeting friends for, uh, you know, whatever, a sporting event or meeting someone for lunch or dinner. And this goes for all age groups. Um, It's so important to reconnect and work at good self-care. It's just we're at a really important time right now for healing. Well, yeah, and I think with social media, there's a there's a difference between because I've seen like with dementia, there's some great groups where people connect all around the world and they are they'll be the first to say it is like they know these people like they are in person because they're having authentic conversations. It's and they're not trying to set up kind of false bravados of who they are and what it is. I mean, they're talking real turkey with one another, the good, the bad and the ugly but then you have all these other things where people are staging photos and using filters and, and you know, trying to live up to an image that they think will be acceptable to other people instead of accepting within who they are and what they want. And, you know, the, the whole loneliness thing, I think, is, you know, one out of two. That's like shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I saw during the pandemic, and I don't know if you saw this, and I was hoping that it would carry over was, especially for our elders, families that had somebody in a community um, really started to try to reconnect on a different level with their loved one in a community, because now they knew what that was like. And so we saw people starting to volunteer more or do acts of kindness, but I've seen that kind of pull back now that we've come out of this bubble again, and it hasn't been focused on. And I I would love to see that, that reconnection through volunteerism and things like that. And, And I don't think we have enough of that yet, but there's such distrust of people to even have people volunteer. And there's, there's, you know, people, organizations are worried about liability with volunteers. And, um, you know, we kind of get in our own way with some of this stuff too. And, And yet I know we have to be protective on that level as well. Yeah. And the Surgeon General has a report out that's actually outstanding. I think I want to say February, 2023 of how to work with loneliness. And they actually highlight volunteering, is it's so reconnecting but volunteering because connecting with one another yes it's wonderful important to that connection and the support but also giving back giving back makes you feel that you have some value you're helping others so volunteer is a wonderful way to help reconnect help with decreasing that sense of isolation, of loneliness. And here's one other piece of research I find fascinating. The most current research is if you have one or two authentic friends that you can really share with, you live longer. So community is is really important. One more quick comment I'll share, and that is 
what you're talking about of, yeah, the image out there and how, how are you living in the world? I would just say, are you living? And it's such a, it's a choice. It's a practice. Are you living out of your heart, your soul? Are you living out of your mind? And when we live out of our mind, I mean, that's fear-based comparison. We're when our, in our mind, we're in the past, we're the future. We're not even here in this moment. And when we come into this moment, which takes practice, how do we just feel into right now? That's where the peace, the ease, the joy, that spaciousness that, oh, here I am. That's where that is. You can't find that in your mind. Oh, I, I totally agree. And with with uh, people living with dementia and their care partners, one of the things I, I always teach, tears, fears, and joy. And I always ask everybody, what do you want? And of course, everyone says joy. And then I explain, you know, the tears are usually living in the past, um, focusing on what's lost. The grieving component is important. But again, you don't want to live in that space all the time. And the fears are all about the projections, the what ifs, and how do I do this and blah, 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 you know, plans A through Z. And it's nice to have that. But when you're doing that, you're, you're throwing, throwing away spontaneity, which is pretty important. And then the joy is in the moment. And if you're living in the past in those tears, or if you're projecting in the future of those fears, you're, you're missing the ability to create joy or even recognize it's right before you. That was a huge lesson for me to learn on my, I think there was so much of the, oh, that's new age, you know, with Eckhart Tolle and Oprah and people kind of poo-pooed all that stuff, but it's so powerful and it's so beautiful and it's so easy, really, when you, when you get in a habit, when you, when you really focus on what do you want in life and how do you it motivates you to get to that space, you know, when you're happier and feeling filled, that has a ripple effect on everyone around you as well. And I don't think we understand the impact we have on one another. I mean, I I hear that a lot from people. Well, it doesn't make any difference what I do. It's not going to affect anyone else, but it does. Mm -hmm. Because people worry, worry about you or they, they pick up on your energy um, the good, the bad, or the ugly on that. That um, is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That's just lovely. I would just add that I think it's so important to feel your feelings. I mean, the path to healing, it is a piece of, let's say you're a caregiver and you're going through and experiencing in the moment some grief, some unrest. Can you can you even just name what's happening when we can name out out loud or our mind? Oh, this is my thought that I'm worried. I'm ruminated. That calms our nervous system. Can you name what you're feeling, which can be super hard sometimes to recognize what am I feeling? But when you name, Oh, I really feel sad. You know, that starts to calm our body And then even just for a short time, you know, even holding, I like the word curiosity. Can you hold the word curiosity of like, where do I feel this in my body? Hmm. I feel it, let's say in my chest, then you can kind of, okay, can I breathe into my chest for a few minutes to just let that feeling come? I promise it will start to lessen, start to dissipate when we don't feel our feelings is when they get stuck inside of us and they, yeah. So the path to healing truly is letting some of the feelings come out. Cause then there's just like, Oh, a spaciousness to experience more joy, more peace. Oh, I so agree. And people feel, I think, judged by their emotions. And yet we all know, and we've all probably experienced this too, where we've, we've stuffed the emotion and then it's come out sideways and we've taken our anger, our frustration off on someone who doesn't deserve it. Or we acted inappropriately, you know, and it had nothing to do with what just triggered us in that moment, Mm -hmm. but it was all that pent up stuff. So I'm right with you that we have to create spaces and teach people how to acknowledge what they're feeling that, you know, I'm trying to think who, I can't remember who told me this, but they had a phrase and they said, emotions aren't good or bad. They just are. Yep. You know, and so don't judge, don't feel less than if you're angry or disappointed or all of those things. And, And I think sometimes we feel like, well, we should be on top of that. We should be above that. We shouldn't have those things. Those are negative, but 
people have to understand you can't have a high without a low. If you don't feel angry or frustrated, you can't necessarily feel true joy either or sadness. Those, those things weigh one another out. They help us, they help us balance. Otherwise, we're going to be like a Stepford Wife society and just everything in play. And, and some of you who are listening who are too young don't know what the Stepford Wives are. Google it. <laughs> now, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about too was you have faced death twice on that because you've worked hospice chaplain and got so many different angles that you're pulling on. But your own personal experience with with facing death? I would say my path really started when I was 11 years old. I, I was 10 turning 11. I was diagnosed with a very rare childhood cancer. Um, the doctors gave my parents, I was way too young to hear this, but that I had the prognosis I had a 20% chance to live interesting this the year um the medic the chemotherapy drugs so this is in the 70s they were randomly giving this new drug from turkey and my father demanded that they give this drug um to me and it's now standard treatment so but my life really turned upside down uh back in the 70s they do they did have chaplains and counselors no one talked to me my family and out of nowhere i just started to pray and my prayer i told no one was could i please live to be 20 and i just kept praying i thought oh if i could live to be 20 i would just see the world and um i prayed and prayed and not long after this deep feeling of peace just poured through my body. And it was profound. It was a knowing that I was going to live. I wasn't alone. It was really profound experience. So it's started to shape the trajectory of my life. Um, I, uh, as a teenager, started reading books on life, meaning, purpose, why am I alive? <laughs> and uh yeah, that's when I, I'm a huge reader as that started. Um, and then fast forward, I went into the business world because that was a family path. And um, I was in advertising. I was with actually Time Magazine, uh, Time Warner. And I had in my 30s, a near death experience, whitewater rafting, which was also a major turning point of realizing, nope, this isn't what I want to do. I feel called to something else. I need to hear where I'm being called that led me on the path to becoming a chaplain and minister to the work I do today. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, not too many people have those types of experiences. And I can I can only imagine I when I was younger, and I was probably seven or eight, but I remember the doctor telling my folks I had cancer and I ended up not having cancer, but just those couple of weeks when everyone thought you did have cancer was pretty, pretty eye-opening and, um, you know, just really makes you all think a little bit different about, about life. In those moments, you said you prayed. And you really almost physically felt the difference within your within your body. Can you talk to that a little bit more? Because I think for some people that might be foreign. And again, I think it's something that not everybody experiences. I think a lot of people pray, but they don't always feel like they get a, an answer or a confirmation of their prayer. Well, here's what I believe. I believe we're a spirit in a body for a short time. I believe we're all connected. There's a sense of oneness. I believe there's this force of energy. And I'll tell you, the longer I've done the work I do, I I think language is limiting. Uh, the sense of oneness, this, this energy, some people might call it God, Brahman, Allah, energy, universal energy, higher power, true nature, your true nature. Um, so when I think back, when I was so little, I just, I can vividly remember feeling, experiencing that I was just, I felt like I was on a tightrope. I was going to, I was between life and death. I was right on that edge. And 
and I could feel it. And I was just, I, it came to me that, gosh, I, I don't want to die. I just, and what I saw in the seventies, in the seventies, um, and this was at the university of Minnesota hospital, but they did a lot of amputation. They had no anti-nausea drugs. It was just, it was quite a lot. It's radically different now where I think they have programs to help children and support. And they had none of that in the seventies. And so it was just, it was pretty intense experience. And that's what led me out of nowhere. We were a, a family Lutheran, occasionally going to church, but it meant nothing to me. Mm-hmm. And I just, the prayer just organically came through me. And when I say this feeling, it just weeks, months, I, I, this feeling just came through my being of just a sense of I wasn't alone. There was some other energy force moving through me, comforting me. It was a knowing. It was profound that I just, I was going to live. I just, I knew, I knew I was going to live. And I knew also in that moment, I felt so, I had felt so alone because no one, I mean, my mother, my dear mother, who's 95 and just wonderful woman, she would say, you're going to be okay, but there was no sense of reality of anything. And uh, and so I felt her love, but I also felt her fear and I felt everyone's fear around me. And so that calm, warm energy, vibrational energy was moving through my body. And it was just like, oh, wow, there's more to this life than being just a physical body, which has led me on this path of realizing. And then I saw it again as I my next experience, having that near death experience, I saw it with so many patients at end of life. There's just like, oh. What is truly life, that aliveness, that oneness, we can feel it right now. This is, I would say, a culmination of Eckhart Tolle's work. How do you come into the oneness right now? How do you feel it? And it's possible if you want, if you choose, if you want to experience the moment and this deep sense of aliveness and oneness, we all have it. It's just, what are you choosing? And going back one more comment to earlier, what you said The world today, it is, it's so fear, it's divisive, there's so much unrest. And today's culture, it's it's still about do more, make more. Can you um, you know, have more and more and more? But that that's all out of our mind, our ego, which truly our essence, our essence is not our mind or ego, it's that oneness, that energy source. That's what we are. Well, and I think too, to get to that spot where you really feel it is you have to quiet yourself. You're, mm-hmm. You kind of detach from the yep. outer world. I remember taking my daughter to, uh, we were looking at colleges in New York and we were at the Waldorf Hotel and we went to bed that night and everything was fine. And I woke up in the morning and I remember looking in the mirror, thinking every cell in my body has changed and I, I couldn't explain it. But something happened to me during the night sleeping, and I did not feel at all like myself. I felt full. I felt good. I felt, I, I felt like Lori, but on, I don't want to say on steroids, because that sounds. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-494-8310. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states bigger because it was really an inner thing it wasn't an ego thing it was just your life is changing you know and I I really didn't know how and then we went out and my my stepson was in town the other day and he said yeah we still talk about when we sat down to um to have lunch and your earring just 
flew out of your out of your ear and across the table like two people over just just flew. we still talk about that moment and it was like you know and I and then I told them that I that I felt like my whole life was going to change and I didn't know how and they were all like well somebody's with you because no one I didn't flick my head I didn't do anything for that earring to come flying across the room and we we still laugh about that but wow that's um, a great that's a great story wow and and I think a takeaway is that we we can watch what we think we can watch what we feel we're not our thoughts we're not our feelings we're that still essence that witness that oneness behind what we think and feel and when you really can understand that's who we are, that stillness, that silence, that essence. It's just, oh, there's such a freedom. Yeah, there there really, really is. If people are happen to be just tuning in right now, you might want to reel back because we have been talking with Catherine Duncan, who is the author of Everyday Awakening, which is just coming out. She is an integrative spiritual consultant. She's she just provides this emotional um in, in spiritual guidance and support. I mean, our conversation has just been fascinating. So if you're just popping in now, again, I think you're going to want to want to go back next. We're going to be talking about five practices that, that you can do in life to live well and live better. You can always visit her website to learning to live.org. So Catherine, let's talk about the five practices that you mentioned earlier on. Can you share those with us? Yes, the five practices that I would say I've lived organically starting as a young person. What the first um, is come back to the present moment. The second is connect with something greater. The third is grow your trust. And the fourth is embody love. And the fifth is hold openness. So these are the, what I think are the five practices to help you feel into open into the vibrant aliveness that we are and that oneness, our soul, our spirit. Um, So each chapter, I have a chapter on each of these five practices where I talk about the practice. And then I give you several exercises in each chapter, how to do it. What does it mean? Let's just start for a moment to come into the present moment. When I say come back to the present moment, as I was just saying earlier, we're not our thoughts, we're not our feelings, we're that stillness, that essence, that witness behind that. So how can you move out of our fast chattering ego mind into just this moment? And I give examples of practicing mindfulness coming into just this moment or or just, so here's a quick example. Let's say in the morning you have a cup of coffee, or a cup of tea, let's say a cup of coffee, and you go into your kitchen, you make coffee, and then you pour yourself a cup of coffee. Can you, for one minute, one or two minutes, not have TV, radio, computer, phone, all the distractions, which is a lot. And I understand if you have young kids, or this is also challenging, you have to go in a different room, but you pour yourself a cup of coffee, you hold the cup of coffee, you feel the warmth of the cup, you smell the aroma, you take a sip, you're just fully present for a minute or two drinking coffee. Maybe you have a window, you look out the window. That is an example of being in just the moment, getting out of your busy mind to find some stillness. I mean, there's just, I give a number of exercises. That's just one quick idea. Well, and that's wonderful. When I was in real estate, when I was caring for my mom with dementia, my dad had brain cancer. Um, I actually would shut my door. I'd put a, I would actually put a note on the outside. Do not enter. Don't bother. I, I would turn my phones all off and I would light a candle and I would put on a meditation tape for 10 or 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I could feel so fried and so exhausted prior to that. And then I just felt all energized and centered again. It was amazing what just shutting down and letting your body just go, okay, get out of high speed, you know, Um, and just, and just get centered again. It was incredible what that does for you. And it physiologically changes your body. So we know now five minutes of breathing, 
Meditating elicits what's called the relaxation response. This is from Dr. Herbert Benson, Harvard professor, doctor in the 70s. This was revolutionary back then. Now it's pretty much standard understanding in medical schools across the country. But when you spend five minutes, which is not long, doing a breath exercise or meditating, it physiologically changes your body. It lowers your blood pressure, your heart rate, your cortisol levels. It's amazing how you're just like, oh, you almost feel like a new person. Yeah. I went to a um, breathing course and with breath logic. And I remember, you know, learning the, the deep breaths and mm-hmm. how that can change. And so for me, one of the things that helped me kind of through my whole caregiving was doing those deep breaths. And I use it, you can use this throughout your life in, in all different areas, but I would take in those deep breaths and I would ask my higher power, whoever that is for you to give me what I need in the moment. And prior, I used to tell it what I needed in the moment. And, I, and we don't always know. So I, I let that go and said, okay, you, you have a bigger picture of what I need. Yeah. And then on my exhale, I asked for all the toxins in my mind, body and soul to leave. So like inner critic, you know, you've been heard, you're gone now. And just that that was really, really centering for mm-hmm. me too. And I would just do it like 11 times, mm-hmm. but I could feel the difference in my body. Mm-hmm. It just, um, you know, these things you're talking about are so, so powerful. My um, favorite um, breath exercise I teach, there's so many different ways to do breathing and so many different ways, but my favorite is just breathing in. You, you just get in a place where you can Feel some calmness, breathing in peace, peaceful energy coming through your body. Breathe out stress, breathe in peace, breathe out stress. You can see stress, even like gray smoke leaving your body. It just, it's powerful. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. And these are simple things that don't cost any money to mm-hmm. do. And you can do them anywhere. No one has to even know that you're doing them. You can actually even you know, if you wanted to, you could do it in the grocery store as you're pushing mm-hmm. your cart, <laughs> you know, or in the car at a stop sign, um, probably wouldn't be as effective um, as being home alone or in a quiet, quiet space. But I, I've done, I've done, you know, my breathing stuff anywhere I feel I need it. Mm-hmm. And, it and it brings comfort. Absolutely. Now, most of us teach from experience and, and definitely you have had some major experiences with two death experiences yourself. What other things have you drawn on for the work that you're doing right now? Were there certain moments in your life where you're like, oh, that would be useful and I can, I can share that with others? I've learned so much uh, from so many hundreds of patients I've worked with. I've worked, I've learned so much from, I learned so much every day from the clients I work with. Now I've learned a lot. I've lost five family members, um, and been with them in the dying process. And that was quite profound. Um, you know, one, one story I'll share that stands out. And this really was actually a significant story on my path. This is before he became a chaplain. My mother-in-law, she was 65, suddenly diagnosed out of nowhere with pancreatic cancer. My father-in-law asked me, would I just walk with Karen through this process? And you know, of course I would. And I took her to doctors and healers. I took her to all kinds of people. And in the year she lived, she lived one year. I just saw this incredible transformation with her where she was I would say more attuned to the outer world and she loved to shop and she loved to buy things and all this and all that dropped away there was just her essence was starting to grow more and open more and spirit was opening and um and there was just such an openness with her and I um I remember taking her to this well-known gifted healer in Minneapolis his name is Michael Michael Isaacson and And Michael said to Karen, are you going with the river or are you going upstream? Are you going, are you fighting the river? And she said, I'm going with the river. There was just an acceptance of going with the flow. That was profound. I mean, in the moment, I just was like awestruck what she was saying. 
And then she entered hospice and she was still very functional walking around. And I remember it was a Friday afternoon. She was in her home and she looked still pretty good. And she was walking around and she said, come sit down. She said this to my husband and I come sit down. I want to talk to you. And she looked in our eyes and she said, I'm ready. I'm not afraid. I'm going to teach you about death and dying. I'm not afraid. And I looked and I felt not an ounce of fear. I was just like, (gasps) she died actually on that, on Monday, she died just a few days later, but just that acceptance, that opening, her spirit was starting to open. There was a glow about her. And, and after that experience, and it was interesting, um, they had Fairview Hospice. And I thought, I am not going to be a chaplain from my childhood. No, I'm not. And I watched these people from Fairview Hospice. And I marveled at how beautiful their spirit. It was just, I, I couldn't, I, and all of a sudden the word chaplain, like, hmm, maybe I should be a chaplain. <laughs> and that's what, that started me on the path to becoming a chaplain. It was a really incredible experience, but the learnings from Karen of opening and growing and finding deep aliveness and life in the moment was soul shaping for me, was life transforming for me. Yeah, it was a gift. Yeah, I, I've had a lot of experience with transitions as well in helping people. And I know so many people are, you know, they want to stay away from death. They don't want to talk about the conversations and stuff. And my mom was one all her life, all of her life, she would bring us to, you know, funerals and wakes. And when we were little, she'd get scolded by her friends. They're too young, Dorothy, they shouldn't be here. And my mom was like, hey, they're excited when someone is born, they should be able to celebrate someone who's who's left as well and is moving on. And so when my mom died, she, she actually started coming to me in dreams mm. prior And because we, you know, as her physical abilities in this world declined on a spiritual level, we got more connected. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things you it's difficult to even explain and people go, wow, that's cool. But I mean, one night she came and said, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be around much longer, finish my obit, you know, so I was like up at two in the morning going, okay, you know, and then, um, and then she came to me another time and said, you're not going to be here when I go. And I was all offended, because I'm like that person. I'm like you, I, I, you know, I, I want to be there for that transition, because it's such an, it's such an honor of a role to, to be able to play. And, Sure enough, I wasn't there. And I asked her why. And she said, because I need to know you're going to continue your work and the rest of them need to experience the dying process. And they won't do that if you're in the room. Mm. So one of the things that ended up happening, and I truly believe my mom orchestrated this all. When when she was actively dying, I had two keynotes in Arizona. Mm. And I'm, you know, my company is me. So I needed to go. My older, my older, my younger brother, both thought I was like having a nervous breakdown. Your daughter said she understood because she knew this is what grandma wanted. The man on the plane with me, we talked about his father-in-law who had dementia, who just moved into his house. I mean, it was just one thing after another. I went to get my baggage and my daughter calls and says, I think this is it. Do you want to say goodbye to Graham again? So here I am in baggage claim. And I'm thinking I'm going to just talk to her on the phone. And Danielle says, why don't we, why don't we FaceTime? And so I can physically see my mom and I'm talking to her. And of course she can't respond. And I, Mm -hmm. I get done and the woman next to me reaches over and hands me a Kleenex. And she says, I don't know if you know this, but I sat across the aisle from you and I listened to your whole conversation. She's like, I wish I would have known you when, oh, I'm going to get emotional Mm. when I was on this journey Mm. because my mom had dementia and I had all these people through my whole trip. And when I went to do my keynote, I I literally tripped going up the steps. I didn't fall, but I just tripped. And when I looked up, it was all bright white lights just Mm -hmm. all these orbs and in that moment I didn't know if she died or if she arrived because right before 
I had called and, and said, hey, we're in this together. I expect you here. And what was really interesting, Catherine, was I called when I was done and my daughter says, mom, it was so weird. You know, you because I, I helped them through video conferencing on how to care for her and her body was going to get hot and, you know, what they could do and blah, 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 blah. And, and uh, she said, grandma got so hot and so red and we couldn't cool her down. We had all the cool washcloths and we were we had them all over her and we just, we could not cool her body down. She finally cooled down about 10 minutes ago. And I said, that's when I got off stage. Mm-hmm. But it was just amazing. Those those connections that you have. And some people will think, oh, you're crazy. And it's just like, I firmly believe my mom and I were communicating after her death. I I think we still communicate Mm -hmm. on a level. And what is so interesting with this journey is we're so limited here in this physical Mm -hmm. world compared to what is possible. Mm -hmm. And, And, and those connections are so peaceful to be able to, to be able to have, or learning that someone in hospice or end of life can hear you, mm-hmm. they might not be able Absolutely. to respond to you. The and hearing the last thing to go, people can hear until the very end. Yep. Or my aunt was dying and I went in to talk to her because my uncle had come to me in a dream mm-hmm. saying, and, and saying, tell Kay it's time. And then I explained to her how he looked and because it, it, he was like standing in my bedroom. I mean, it wasn't like a picture. It was like, he was actually there. I could hear, see and feel him. And so I told her that after 20 minutes of rambling on, feeling uncomfortable, explaining this to her and I was holding her hand and, you know, the nurse had told me before I walked in the door, now she's probably not going to respond. She's not going to open her eyes. She's not going to talk. She's not going to squeeze your hand, but just let her know whatever it is you have to say. And that was so comforting for the, for the hospice nurse to tell me that. And as I told her about uncle Chuck, she got this big smile on her face. Her eyes popped open for like five seconds. And she looked up at the ceiling. She squeezed my hand and, um, and the room just got chilly and then she she squeezed my hand again her eyes closed but her smile stayed mm-hmm. and, and I know that she connected with my my uncle and then a couple hours later she was gone mm-hmm. but it was it was like such a powerful experience when you let yourself go there and don't shut that stuff down mm-hmm. um, believe in something bigger so I think your I think your book is going to just be um fascinating and and give so many people wonderful wonderful tools so i appreciate you taking the time to to be with us today and thank you for sharing that story by the way that was just beautiful just beautiful and i i do think as i said earlier we're a spirit in a body a short time i think every one of us listening to this every one of us have gifts if it's clairvoyance clairaudience clairsentient i talk about it in my book um of experiencing more than just being in this body and and i also i i had many many patients after they died come back to see me mm-hmm. i write about that in my book a little bit just yeah, our spirit goes on. I have not one doubt. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll share one other quick story with you um, on death and dying that I think will is really interesting. So my, my uh, husband's mom was dying and we got called back into town and Tom's sitting next to her. And at this time we were just engaged. We weren't married and Tom was Catholic, so I just assumed his mom was. I did not know that for sure, but I just assumed that. And the nurse pulled me aside and said, do you want the last rites? And so I said, yeah. Mm-hmm. So here's here's Helen laying in the bed. I mean, just still as can be. And Tom's holding her hand and just, you know, saying his goodbyes to his mom. And then all of a sudden, the priest stands at the end of the bed. And I'm on the other side of the bed. And out of nowhere... Helen lifts up her fist and she whacks Tom in the chest and says, you son of a bitch, I'm not (laughs) ready to go yet. And she got up out of bed and Uh, she grabbed her IV and her oxygen and she did a jig to the bathroom. 
Oh my gosh, this and, is hilarious. And to me, it was like, and Tom's like, what happened? What happened? And then he sees the police, he's like, who called the priest? My mom didn't really, you know, that wasn't her thing. And, um, and what was interesting was I only knew Helen sick. I, I never saw this feisty woman everyone talked about. And in that moment, I got to see the real Helen. And it was it was just one of those experiences you'll never, ever forget. Um, and it was just such a blessing to be able to stay with her a couple more days until she passed. You know, Tom and I just kind of kind of camped out with her and things. But that is such a good story. Thank you. That was <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I think your I think your book, Everyday Awakening, is really gonna help people look at the world differently, see the calmness, see the love, but also the humor in life, you know, <laughs> and not taking things so so seriously. So I just ask from our audience to be a giver of hope, like click and share. For me, it's it's not about the numbers. It's about getting information into people's hands so so they know where to go for help, where to find some comfort and to be able to search out on their own. You can go to Catherine Duncan's website at learningtolive.org. And then you're also on Facebook as Learning to Live. You're on Instagram as Catherine Duncan, mm -hmm. M-A-B-C-C on LinkedIn. You are there and you have a YouTube channel, Learning to Live Mind, Body, Spirit Teachings. Do you want to give out an email or a phone number as well? Or do you prefer them just going to your website? Yeah, my email is rev, R-E-V-C, Duncan, D-U-N-C-A-N at gmail.com. And I'll also say, um, check out my book, Everyday Awakening. It's currently, you can go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, Indigo Bookshop. I'm I'm kind of all over my book is. It'll be in, in the Twin Cities. It's going to be start being available in Barnes & Noble in stores. It's also, you can go to everydayawakening.com to check out my book. Wonderful. Well, I wish you the most success with your book. I think that that is just uh, just an exciting time. And I appreciate you sharing your your life's work with us and your your stories. I think you're going to help a lot of people in the world. So thank you, Catherine. Thank you so much. Lovely to talk with you. Thank you again in wrapping up. Um, we will we will catch uh, up with you on our next episode. In the meantime, feel free to go to alzheimerspeaks.com for more information. Bye, everyone. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.